There's a lot to say about the deliciousness of steaks, burgers, and kebabs, and the wonders of a summer cookout. But we figure, why go through all the trouble when beef can speak for itself? Just listen. Translation, beef. It's what's for dinner. Funded by beef farmers and ranchers. Well, it is another Friday afternoon in beautiful downtown Starkville, Mississippi, and that means it is time once again for the Tracks Plus Friday Deep Dig. I'm Charlie Winfield, Bart Gregory here with me, and Bart, we had an off week. We documented that on our midweek show out of left field. This is the show, though. We get back together. We just start talking numbers, trying to break down this football game, and all of a sudden, the discussion about whether it is dangerous to be playing Alabama coming off a loss, I think it's dangerous to play Alabama anytime. Yeah, it really is. And here's the thing about me, Charlie, and I guess uh, this will be my opening statement about Alabama. They've been a different team on the road. Now, here's the thing. They played Mercer, Southern Miss, and Ole Miss at home. And of course, Ole Miss, the top 15 team. But on the road at Florida, top 10 team with Dan, then Texas A&M, who, by the way, I know we beat Texas A&M out there, and I know A&M had lost to Arkansas. They, they're still one of the best 25 teams when you start looking at talent-wise. And so what Alabama did last week going out and losing. Here's the thing that stands out to me about Alabama, Charlie, is they're a good football team. Are they a top five football team? Absolutely. Are they an elite football team? Yeah, they're an elite football team in today's standards. Are they an unbeatable football team? Absolutely not. When you start looking, we talked to Chris Stewart on our Wednesday show with the Crimson Tide Sports Network, and he started talking about all the guys they lost to the draft, especially on the offensive side. And, of course, you've got Mac Jones, the starting quarterback for New England right now. I look at Alabama, and I see guys like Patrick Sertain, who was a first-round draft pick as well. And when you just look collectively at Alabama right now, they've got a young quarterback, and Bryce Young, do they have a chance to be exceptional? Yes, but right now they're just not unbeatable. And I think that's why you feel good about your – you don't feel great about your chances of going in and just winning this ballgame, but you don't have that feeling that you've had sometimes in years past where you know when you got off the bus this is going to be a demoralizing three hours of football. So that's your opening look at this football game. Remind you, by the way, that we are in the – Farm Bureau Studios, downtown Starkville, Mississippi. Farm Bureau's got agents in all 82 counties here in the state of Mississippi, and we appreciate all those guys, Henry Hamill, and all those who helped bring this show to you. And, Bart, the one thing about Farm Bureau, I was talking to somebody the other day, this is honest case. They came in my office. They've been in a car wreck, and they said, man, I called my Farm Bureau guy. They had me fixed up that afternoon. They already had a check in hand. They handle things in a hurry, and that's the thing that you have to really like about having somebody local. It's Boy, sometimes you see those ads and it gets tempting to think you can go to an internet call or do something and have another option, but there is no substitute for guys on the ground. Yep, especially when you got a lot of good guys. Customer service, that's the big key when it comes to insurance. And like we say all the time, you know, when you need your insurance guy, you need your insurance guy. And you need somebody that can handle your situation. And so, yeah, I tell you what, Charlie, Friday before big game, Alabama, town's already buzzing a little bit. We got a baseball scrimmage later today at 5 o'clock. And I got a feeling Brad Bohannon might make our two minute drill today. Oh, I forgot about Brad making all the, the comments about Startwell. And uh, hey, let me tell you this. When you, people begin to realize you're not as good as people think, then you start taking your targets to some other people. 
But that's okay. I digress. I may sit behind the first base dugout and remind him of that today. Yeah, I might do the same thing here <laughs> later this afternoon. So you've had your opening statement. I'll take mine. Mississippi State, Alabama. Bart, forget about the numbers because the numbers, well, you're not going to like them. This series has been played for ages, and Mississippi State is rarely won. This will be the 105th meeting. Mississippi State's won just 18, tied three. Alabama, the closest school to Starkville in the SEC, and as our friend Stephen Augustinelli reminds us, still owes us that 1941 national championship. But the Tides won 84 of those games. But if you go back and you look, you think about the coaches at Mississippi State, all of them in some way have been defined by a big moment against Alabama. Think about Emory Ballard, 1980. Alabama was number one coming off repeat championships. They looked unbeatable. Bulldogs win 6-3 to three in that ballgame at Jackson. First ball game I ever attended at Memorial Stadium in Jackson, later then known as Veterans Memorial Stadium. Well, if you go down there right now, you'd see the exact same stadium you saw in 1980. <laughs> Pretty scary, isn't it? And so then you think, you fast forward to Jackie Sherrill, 96, 97, 98. Three straight years, Mississippi State beating Alabama. That 26-14 game in 1998 really hits home with me because after that ball game, Jackie Sherrill became the winningest coach in Mississippi State history, I think it was. And Everybody had the towels because we didn't want Jackie to leave to go to Alabama. Yeah, and we, we put the on the what we called the jumbotron at the time. It was a much, much smaller screen, but we put the locker room shot. And that day, leaving the stadium, I thought, you know what? We have arrived. And then... Well, things turned after that day I against actually, Alabama. I actually thought we arrived the next year when I'm sitting in the fourth quarter in Tuscaloosa in 1999. We're getting beat, and the Alabama crowd is chanting, overrated. And I'm like, you talk about a surreal moment right here. And Pig Prather had that punt call back, that punt return call back. Yeah, that, that holding penalty that never, ever happened. But so you come back, you win again in six and seven. In fact, Nick Saban's first year at Alabama, Mississippi State gets the 17-12 win. That was a great Anthony Dixon day. But since then, well, candidly, it hasn't often been that close. We made a run at it in 14, lost 25 to 20. 17, coulda, shoulda, woulda, lost that one 31-24. But go back and what happens so many times in this ballgame? 24 to nothing, 38-7, 41 to nothing. And the common thread of those is it's over before it started. I've got a feeling we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But what's the key for Mississippi State tomorrow in my mind? Don't blitz on third and 17 in a tie game, late in the game, 2017? Hmm. Hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> over it. It's not a problem. Uh, I don't hold any ill will against defensive coordinators for receivers, uh, step out of bounds or anything else. No. You know, Bear Bryant once said that no coach has ever won a game by what he knows. It's what his players know that counts. I'm hoping this weekend that his players don't know that much because Nick Saban sure does. When it all starts, this team, Bart, you said it, they're not as good as the Alabama teams we've seen over the past few years, but they're upper echelon, and no matter what, it's crimson and white across the way, and that's Nick Saban on the opposing sidelines. I don't care if you're playing at home. I don't care if you're on the road. I don't care if you're playing in Mike Leach's backyard. There's a little bit of intimidation there. I hope, I hope that we can survive it. And that leads me into my three numbers, to be honest with you, Charlie. And the, my first number is seven. All but, right. So, by the way, we do. Just to remind everybody, we have our segment, our three-two-one segment. We take a look at three numbers, then two players, one coach. 
And you're coming out of the gates hard today. You're ready to get into your numbers. Man, we had the week off last week on the numbers. And, of course, this uh, this is brought to you by Trax Plus. Trax Plus, four locations, three in the state of Mississippi. You've got uh, – they sell equipment, and they sell good equipment. They sell new equipment. They sell used equipment. They sell all kind of equipment, and they sell it well because it's good equipment. And having driven that equipment, I can attest – it's got a little power behind it. Yeah, it doesn't tuck a whole lot. I mean, you did that little donut out there. Hey, if you're in Columbus, go by and see Daniel Bounds and Fred Fulton down in Hickory, Ken Crosby. If you're in Summit, Gresh Howell, then in, down in Alexandria, Louisiana, Hoop Weems, and they'll get you set up with some of the best Barco equipment. If you're in the forestry business or if you're in the construction business, a Saney excavator, or if you need anything used, they sell all kind of used equipment. They're the largest used dealer for forestry equipment in the deep south. And, of course, that's our fine friends at Trax Plus. And call me for directions. If you've got any trouble operating that equipment, I am an experienced heavy equipment operator. <laughs> it's not technically wrong. But anyway, Bart, you got your three numbers. Yeah, my first one is seven. And it mentioned you mentioned a moment ago about how – when you look across that sideline and you're going to see white tops, white pants, crimson headgear, it's the same uniforms that we saw in 1980. Nothing changes with the uniform, and sometimes teams play the jersey. The thing about Alabama is in their wins this year, they have overwhelmed teams early on. My first number is seven. We need to be within seven points of Alabama at halftime. If you look in the first quarter this year – They've outscored teams 80 to 20. In the second quarter, 79 to 23. So at halftime, they have outscored their opponents 159 to 43. So let's look at those five wins 27 to 3 at the half against Miami, 31 to nothing at home against Mercer. That really shouldn't count. Neither should Southern Miss, 42 to 7. But they were ahead 21 to nothing early at Florida. Florida came back to make it a 12 point game. And then they led Ole Miss 28 to nothing at the half. The thing that A&M did is they stayed in the game early. It was 24-10 A&M in the first half. So you look at their two road games this year, 21-9 at Florida, 24-10 down in the first half at A&M. The shock and awe of Alabama is what really makes them so good because they're going to come out of the gate and try to punch you in the mouth. And if you can stay within seven points, that's my number, seven, I think you got a good shot. All right, so you want us down no more than seven at the half. Break down that number. You're not counting who got the ball first, nope. whether they're getting the ball coming out of the dressing room up seven. No matter what we have to do, no matter the circumstance, just be within seven. Just be within seven. Right. I don't I don't care if they throw a touchdown pass on the last play of the first half to make it a seven-point lead. It's seven. All right, I, I'll play along. All right, my next number is four. And the number four comes missed tackles from our secondary. Okay, last week against Texas A&M, or two weeks ago against Texas A&M, we had 14 missed tackles in that game. I'm talking about egregious missed tackles. 14, that was the most we've had all year. Six came from cornerbacks or safeties. You look against LSU, we only had two missed tackles from the secondary, from safeties or cornerbacks. Four against Memphis, five against NC State, four against Louisiana Tech. We need just four missed tackles in the secondary. And here's the reason I say that, Charlie, is I think after what you've seen in Bryce Young having difficulties on the road with pressure, and sometimes he gets happy feet, 
I think you're going to see Zach Arnett bring some pressure to try to get to the young quarterback tomorrow. So what's that going to do? It's going to leave you one-on-one in the secondary. And that's when a 15-yard slant route becomes 80. Making tackles one-on-one in the island with your cornerbacks and your safeties tomorrow will be of the utmost importance. You know, so far on the season, Alabama has – over 1,000 receiving yards after the catch. Yep. That seems like a big deal, and a lot of that's going to come just on, in addition, to now and then you got guys just running wide open. But a lot of times that's a sign of receivers who can just run through some tackles against smaller defensive backs. Yep, and so I, that's the thing. I, I think with my third number, talking about the establishment of Brian Robinson, I think with the running game of Alabama, your linebackers are going to be a little bit tighter, and the, just that area down the field, 10 to 20 yards, that's where they've made their hay this year. You've just got to be able to make tackles and not allow broken tackles to kill you with big plays. All right, so that's your second number, and what's your third? All right, my third talks about Brian Robinson, the great running back for Alabama. Okay, now here's the thing about Brian Robinson. 60 of his 97 carries have come in the last two games. He rushed it 36 times against Ole Miss for 171. 24 times against Texas A&M for 147. So my question is, is why? Are they losing their faith in the passing game? Is it their offensive line? Have they had some drops at wide receiver? Now, they've got a great quarterback and great cast of wide receivers and a very good offensive line, too. Actually, Mississippi State's offensive line grades better than Alabama's to this point of the season. Now, I know it's a lot of who you play as well. But are they trying to establish the run more now but here's the thing we talked to Chris Stewart earlier this week they only have three scholarship running backs and so all of a sudden Brian Robinson takes a lot of the pressure here's the thing about Brian Robinson he's a bruising running back he runs extremely hard he's had nine runs over 15 yards this year he's had seven in the last two games my number is two we can't have Brian Robinson with more than two runs over 15 yards he wears number four he's the running back we need to stop him for two times. Two times, we'll give him two times that he runs for more than 15 yards, but we have to limit those opportunities. I think holding him to two runs over 15 is great if you're telling me it falls in the 15 to 20. I don't want a couple of 45-yard runs. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but, boy, I think that says a lot about him as a running back, doesn't it, that we're saying only two? It does because the last two games when they are running it more, He's had seven in the last two games where he's gone over 15 yards. To be honest with you, here's what's crazy, Charlie. Of those seven, none have been between 10 and 15. He's had seven runs over 10 yards, and those seven runs have all gone over 15. See what I'm saying? I mean, it's kind of either feast or famine with Robinson. And they've had a lot of success kind of using that zone read type play with him too. He's a – look, I really like that guy's a running back. In fact, I'll talk more about him in a little bit. So that's your – Three numbers, and so I'll give you mine. Bart, I'm going to have an opinion that some people are going to ridicule, I'm afraid, but I'm going to have it anyway. I like to ridicule your decisions. Our goal on this show is to make people think, right, to look at things from a different angle. And I'm going to say something about a Mississippi State football team that I've never said. My first number is 68. 68 is the number of net rushing yards that we cannot exceed tomorrow. Oh, wait. You're saying we can't rush for more than 68. I'm telling you, if we're going to win this football game, we have to rush for less than 68 yards. And I know you've got a reason for that. Because, you know, at the surface, at 10,000 feet, I'm sitting there going, okay, 
You don't want me to be one-dimensional you don't, against Alabama. You don't, You've got great defensive coaches, all those things. That's exactly what I'm saying. One-dimensional against Alabama is never a good thing, but go ahead. All right, so here's I'm what listen- I want to say I'm to listening you. to you right now. All right, so here's what I want you to understand. Number one, it's time that we embrace who we are and forget about what we used to be. We grew up running the triple option, the wishbone, the wingbone, Emery Ballard. We grew up watching Tay Galloway run it 19 times right up the middle with Bill Clay as our offensive coordinator in a ball game here at Starville against Tennessee, and I'm still not mad about it. Good with it, actually. The Veer with Rocky Felker. We ran it up the middle, but we decided we're going to run up the middle. They stopped us. Unfortunately, they stopped us on every time we ran it. But in any event, it's in our DNA. We're a running school. It's time to set that aside because it is not who we are now. What's the old saying? A tiger can't change his stripes. We're changing our stripes, man, because we are now a passing football team. And what do you hear about coaches? You say, we got to be who we are. I don't care who we're playing. We got to be who we are. You know what we are? We're a passing football team. And you're going to say, all right, enough of that. Give me some numbers to back that up. I shall. What are our best two football games this year? NC State, Texas A&M. A&M, we had 30 net rushing yards. NC State, we had 22. Really? Our best two ball games, we committed to the pass and we threw it. Now, we had run substitutes. I expect to have that tomorrow. But how about this? We go over 100 yards against LSU rushing. Lose. 90 against Louisiana Tech. Lose. 87 now, we, against we, Memphis. We, we beat La Tech, but it felt like a loss. Yes. It sure did feel like a loss, didn't it? It did. See, I'm, I've got it in that category right now. As you should. 90, should have lost. Almost lost. How do you want to describe it? Feels like a loss. Is that good enough? It's a win. Okay. 87 against Memphis. We lost that one. And so you go back and you look. This is a football team that's 3-2. and two. Its two best performances are against A&M and NC State. And in those ball games, they didn't rush for even 68 yards combined. So, What's the bottom line tomorrow? I'm going to give them a little wiggle room because I agree. You can't be one-dimensional against Alabama. Not entirely, but you got to be who we are. Embrace it, Bart Gregory. This is a passing offense, and we got to throw the football. Okay, so you know what do you want in the rushing game? I mean, how many teams run it wide, stretch plays? That's kind of what we are with our passes. Some of those are check downs. But sometimes we had design plays going to the outside, and, and Isaiah Spiller had a couple of those last week, a little wheel ride outside the backfield that he had success on. So, yeah, I mean, I can see exactly what you're saying. I can see exactly what you're saying. A lot of it's going to be dependent upon how Alabama defends it because when you look at Texas A&M, and what do we say about Mike Elko and Texas A&M after the game? Man, they didn't blitz us hardly at all. You know, Will only had six pressures in that game. They kind of sat back and let it play. I think Alabama is going to be a little bit different tomorrow. I don't think they're going to sit back near as much. And so it's going to clog some running lanes just a little bit. Here's the thing. I don't know how many times. What's the number about running the ball? How many times? I mean, you talk about yardage, but how many times do we run the ball tomorrow against Alabama? Less than 14. Okay. 14 or fewer. And that's just handing the ball off. That doesn't count the swing passes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, I understand where you're coming from. And it's hard for me to grasp, too, because, you know, I think of the J.J. Johnson in 1997 and in 1998, how many times did we hand him the football? That's kind of who we are, especially against Alabama. Got to shorten the game. But, hey, that's the thing. Why do you run the football sometimes against teams that are, quote, unquote, really good to shorten the game? But our offense shortens the game with that short passing game. Yeah, and I'll go a step further. I had just have a feeling we're going to be down early. 
And so shortening the game isn't going to be our fight right then. But in any event, I will be honest with you. I came in here, my number was 75 when I woke up this morning. And it was going to say that was the rushing yardage that we had to have. That we, I was ready to say we're not going to beat Alabama being one-dimensional. We're going to have to be variable. That Nick Saban is the best guy in the country in terms of disguising blitz, rolling coverage, confusing quarterbacks. But then I go back and I see those two numbers for undoubtedly our two best games. I never pictured, never pictured the political Charlie Winfield of getting up and just changing his mind, going with the wind. I'm waffling, man. Go ahead. I flip flop. <laughs> so my first number sixty-eight. I like it. I'm digging it. All right. What's uh, your number? What's your second number? We can't go over one. That's okay. the number of drops we can have on downfield passes tomorrow and still win this football game. Oh, I agree with that one. So you go back and you look. A and M. Two drops by wide receivers, both of those by Mackay Polk. LSU, we dropped five. Four of those were by wideouts, by four different wideouts. Memphis, we had one. NC State, we had two. We had one by wide receiver against Louisiana Tech. What's the bottom line of going back to my theory? What's our two best games? A&M, NC State. Each of those games, a wide receiver dropped a pass twice. Those are the best games we've played. We have to play even better if we're going to win tomorrow. The only place to go from two is down to one. One drop on a ball down the field. I'll take zero, but I'll give you one. Yeah, I'm I'll, allowing them one. Yeah, I'll give you one. Okay, all right, I'm digging it. I'm, I'm with that. That's a good number. We're going to have to play our perfect brand of football tomorrow against Alabama with their secondary. And so my third number, and you actually already covered this a little bit, and I'm going to do something we've never done before. I'm doubling up on a number. I'm going one again. Okay. One touchdown allowed in the first quarter. Yes, sir. All right. So I'm not going to go back through the analysis. I think you hit it well. This is a team that we cannot afford just the rush of the fire hydrant to hit us, right? We cannot afford to be swimming upstream against Alabama. And I think when you take the field, you can throw all the numbers away, man. These kids aren't dumb. These kids have grown up. You think you and I have grown up in an era where Alabama's dominant. Think about these kids playing right now. Alabama's averaging, what, about one loss a year in the Nick Saban era? A little over one a year? Yeah, it's quite exceptional, to be honest it's, with you. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's all these guys have known. And they're going to look across the field, and they're going to see that guy. And they're going to see those uniforms. You kind of broke down the numbers. The bottom line is Alabama beats you by just demoralizing you early. Do what A&M did. Stay in the game. Stay in the game. Don't allow your defense to get demoralized early. One touchdown, it's all we can afford to give up in the first quarter. I was going to think, is it 10 points? But, hey, if you give up 10 points in the first quarter, that's on their way to 40. Do you want to win a shootout with Alabama? And that's what it may take. Who knows? But uh, I, I don't want them scoring 40. I don't feel good about them scoring 40 and that's winning. No, not at all. So, 68, 1, and 1. Can I do that? Double yep. up on a number? Absolutely. It's I'm fine with done. that. So that's our three numbers. And mine were 7, 4, and 2. Seven, be within seven points. Four missed tackles by the secondary, and then two runs for Brian Robinson over 15 yards. All right. Rest in peace, by the way, to my Twitter mentions, because I got a feeling I'm going to catch some heat on that 68 number. That's okay. Should it really bother you? About Twitter mentions? Should it? No, it shouldn't. But, you know, it's one of those things that now and then you just got to take a different point of view. We're just trying to get a little creative here, Bart. I'm saying don't run the football, and I can't believe I'm saying it. So that's a look at our three numbers. Now we're down to our two players. 
And our two players are brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing made right here in the state of Mississippi something you can be proud of. They make sausages all over, but let me tell you this. The best one is made right here in Mississippi, and it's made in Florence, Mississippi, at Country Meat Packers. And if you're getting ready for the tailgate tomorrow, like we said, 6 o'clock game, got all day to tailgate. If you got a brother, if you got a buddy that lives in, say, Hattiesburg or South Mississippi and there's coming to the game, make them swing through Florence. Make them head to Country Meat Packers, go in the storefront, and they've got anything you could possibly need to put on the grill. But, of course, get a bunch of packs of that country-pleasing sausage. It will make your tailgate so many different varieties, and it's all good. And these two players brought to you by Country-Pleasing Sausage. My first player is the fine quarterback, and that is Bryce Young, modern-day high school from Pasadena, California, And here's the thing when I look at Bryce Young, his ceiling is unbelievable. I mean, here's a guy who is ultra talented. But here's also a guy that has made some mistakes in the passing game. He threw a big interception in the end zone last week. Charlie, here's the thing when I look at him, it's almost like he doesn't set his feet at all. He's playing some backyard ball. Now, he is exceptional. I mean, he is a great athlete. Been watching Patrick Mahomes too much? You know that when I see Bryce Young, I think – Patrick Mahomes. I think that style of play. And so you you ask yourself the question, hey, and I love Mahomes, man. I'm talking about I love that guy. He's a big-time player. But you kind of wonder how many guys are watching him right now in the high school ranks, in the collegiate ranks, because you've got to have a big-time arm and big-time ability to get away with what he gets away with. Kind of like the guys sitting around watching the NBA, the 12-year-olds going out and just trying to shoot threes from 30 feet. Yep, the 6'9 guy sitting out in the yard. Feed me. (laughs) I'm open at the top of the key. Yeah, we've seen that too up close and personal. Okay, but here's the thing about uh, Bryce Young that really kind of surprised me when I jumped into the numbers. Do you know where he is at its best? 22% of his attempts come in that medium range between 10 and 19 yards. That is his highest graded area. And when you drill down even further – between the numbers in the middle of the field, between 10 and 20 yards down the field, he is 20 of 32 with an average depth of target, 13.8. 20 of 32 with seven drops in that area from his wide receivers. If you take out the drops, he's completing 84% of his balls between 10 and 20 yards down the field between the numbers right where the safeties are. It goes back to what I talked about a while ago. That's where he's completing slant routes and the in routes, but mainly it's slant routes, and that's where you've got to make sure you make tackles because they are going to complete those balls. So they work down the field in the middle of the field, and so that's where Bryce Young has really made some hay is in the middle of the field between 10 and 20 yards down the field. Also, Charlie, looking at the numbers, when he runs without play action, he is outstanding. He completes 71% of his balls on non-play action plays. That's also one of his highest graded areas. That's his highest grade, and he throws those 64% of the time, and that's his highest grade. He is really, really good at dropping back or on the roll. And that's the thing that's interesting. I think a lot of times you see young quarterbacks. I've often said that I think some offense coordinators use play action just as a timing mechanism just as a force a guy to kind of go through a progression a little bit as he's dropping. This guy's better without it. That's interesting because you look at this running back that's so good, you'd think you'd be kind of playing off play action more. So that's something to watch tomorrow, see how many of those are going to be rollouts. 
He has been blitzed 37% of the time this year, non-blitzed 63%. So teams about a third of the time are bringing blitz against Bryce Young, trying to make him get the happy feet and make some mistakes. I'm real curious to see what Zach Arnett is going to do to try to get pressure. Is it a situation where you bring one linebacker, two linebackers? What do you do with your offense? Because you have to worry about the run game. Here's where Bryce Young is also good to Charlie, is rolling out to his right in that intermediate area of bringing the tight ends into play, little drag routes across the middle. He had one last week that was big that was dropped that led to A&M getting the football late in the game. And so he's still a young guy taking over a good offense. He's got a new offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien. So he is a big key. you got to somehow contain Bryce Young and make him make Young mistakes tomorrow. My second player is the cornerback, Josh Job. He wears number 28. He's the left cornerback for Alabama, and he has played through the system at Alabama. He's a senior from Miami, Florida. When I look at Mississippi State offensively, when you look at throws outside the numbers, Will Rogers has thrown 53 balls outside the numbers to the right, which is against the left cornerback side. He's thrown only 30 balls outside the numbers to the left. So you are going to bring Josh Job into play in this game. Here's the thing that stands out. And when you start looking at his numbers, they are really good. But here's where Josh Job has struggled this year. He has not graded well at all in tackling. If you look back at the A&M game, there was a couple times in there. Now, he is great at coverage. I mean, he is a lockdown corner, but he doesn't tackle that well and hasn't tackled that well this year so let me ask you this when you say he doesn't tackle that well sometimes you see cornerbacks who don't tackle that well because they don't get up and run support sometimes you see cornerbacks who don't tackle receivers what do you see there he's missing tackles down to, he's he missed three tackles against Ole Miss himself we started talking about we can't have more than four with our secondary period Against Ole Miss, he had the three missed tackles. Then against A&M last week, he really just did not become a factor at all with either the run game or making plays after the catch. All right, so that's a look at your two players. You've got Bryce Young, the quarterback, and then the cornerback, Josh Job. Josh Job, the guy on the defense we need to pay attention to. So my two players, Bart, the first, number four, the running back, Brian Robinson, Jr. He is a redshirt senior And that's what I love about this guy. He's been around. He's a Tuscaloosa guy, went to Hillcrest High School. He's got good size, 6'1", 225. I like the guy. I think he's elusive. I think he's got a burst. I think he's a powerful runner. And I think he does a lot of things well. And I think he's been doing them well progressively so. If you look, he's got two games this year where he's gone over 100 yards. It's been the last two. You wonder – Too much of a load here lately on him. You go back, Ole Miss, 36 carries. Texas A&M, 24. A lot of carries here recently for him. Those his two games where he's gone over 100. In fact, 171 and 147 in those. I like his style of running. I like his patience. I always go back to something you kind of let us off with, looking at that NC State team and talking about how they were a left-handed team. They were going to go left. Robinson is not exclusively a left-handed guy, but he tends to be by a margin of two to one. And here's what I always worry about, guys. And This goes back to our discussion earlier about how we kind of grew up being running guys. And remember when we had Dante Walker and J.J. Johnson, those guys was like, get it to him outside, get it to him outside. Robinson gets it outside now and then, but when he does, 
it's predominantly to the left. He'll run it up the middle a ton, but when he wants to go outside, around the left end has been his best play. He's run it most, and he's averaging over seven yards a carry. He has picked up basically any stat you want to look at. He has a two-to-one advantage to the left side versus the right. The number of carries, two-to-one to the left. The number of touchdowns, two-to-one to the left. Number of first downs picked up rushing. Where is he best? Left guard and left end. 12 first downs that he has carried for combined between those two. Robinson is good anywhere you want to give it to him, but he is especially dangerous around the left end. That's not where he will run it exclusively, but it's where you better watch out. So we go back. Who did we talk about back in that NC State ball game? They were going to go left. Yep, Tyrus Wheat, man. Yep, got to anchor it down over there. Got to got to make plays, and you've got to make tackles because it was crazy when you start looking at his yards. And this is one of the stats I almost brought up. Around the left end, he has 120 yards rushing. Around the left end, around the right end, only 30. So yeah, when he bounces outside, he's going left, and you better have some guys out on that outside like a Tyrus Wheat walking up making plays. And he's a guy, by the way, you talk about having to make plays. He's forced 35 missed tackles this year in five football games. You know, he's forcing seven a game. You talked about not needing missed tackles back in the secondary. Tyrus Wheat better not walk in here with a handful on Sunday morning or we got problems. And, hey, we've had some linebackers who have had a tough time. I'm not calling out names. We've had some linebackers who have had a really tough time with missed tackles, especially in the last three to four games. Surprisingly so. Yes. Some guys that we would not have expected that from. So that's my first guy, the running back, Brian Robinson, Jr. I like him because he's good. I like him because he's hung around. And I'm worried about him because he is a dangerous, dangerous football player when he has the ball in his hands. My second player, number 31, Will Anderson, Jr. I'm sticking with the junior idea today. And by the way, brief aside, you really don't need to put junior or the third or anything else on the back of your jersey. Because Junior modifies your first name, not your last. You don't become Gregory Junior. You're still just Gregory. You're still Winfield. But I digress. Will Anderson Junior is, depending upon which roster you pick up, a linebacker or a defensive end, here's what he is. He's a guy who's got one job, basically, and that's get after the quarterback. This season, he is second on the team with three sacks, but he is first on the team by an astonishing margin, 20 hurries of the quarterback four hits on the quarterback this is a guy who can get back there he'll miss some tackles but he's a disruptor he is a force he leads the league in terms of quarterback pressures and he is the guy for me that Mississippi State's offensive line we've talked about how it's improving we talked about how last week they had time to throw the football when they played Texas A&M. We said that basically every week they're grading better than the week before. Will Anderson Jr. is the kind of guy who could have something to say about that. Second nationally in tackles for loss. He's got eight and a half. This is a good, dangerous football player. Look all around. This guy's just a sophomore, but man, 6'4", 243. He's long, he's rangy, he's talented. He's all those things. You pick up a defensive player list for a watch list for national awards, you'll find him there. Bednarik, Butkus, Lombardi, Nagurski, Walter Kemp, whatever. This is a big-time defensive football player. And if I'm Will Rogers and I'm coming to the line of scrimmage, I'm going to know where number 31 is. And I think, by the way, we've talked about how good Mississippi State's running backs have been lately in pass blocking. 
I thought they were exceptional against Texas A&M. It's a whole different ball game tomorrow. Yep. Jaquavius Marks and Dylan Johnson are going to make their money's worth tomorrow trying to block these guys on the outside to give Will Rogers. Only had six pressures, only six pressures in that game last week against uh, Texas A&M. Now, here's the thing about Will Anderson. He was hurt early in the year, took a blow to the knee in the third quarter against Mercer. That was back in the second game, but now he's back to full strength, and he is he's not 90%. I mean, he's played at 100% right now. Yeah, big-time football player. So, what is it? Great moments are born from great opportunity and all that stuff. Well, our offensive line is going to have a great opportunity to deal with him tomorrow. Big players make big plays and big games. Santana Moss. Well, let's hope that our big players, in particular our offensive linemen, are the ones making those big plays tomorrow. All right, so we've looked at our three numbers. We've looked at our two players. Now it's time for one coach from the opposing staff. All right, my one coach is a Mississippi native, and that's Robert Gillespie. You remember Robert Gillespie from down in Hattiesburg, a couple years younger than yeah. us? Yep, Robert Gillespie, he was an, a super prep All-American in 1997. He's the running backs coach at Alabama. And so what's you remember, he went to Florida, played down there, was on some great teams with Steve Spurrier, actually started his coaching career under Steve Spurrier in 2005. He only played one year with the Washington Redskins, and that was a single season back in 2002. Then he got into coaching. He was at South Carolina, then became the running backs coach at South Carolina from 2006 to 08. And since then, he's moved around a good bit. He went to Oklahoma State in 9 and 10, West Virginia in 11 and 12. He was at Tennessee for five years from 13 to 17. The last three years, he was a running backs coach at North Carolina under Larry Fedora and then under Mac Brown. And this year, his first year as a running backs coach at Alabama. Hey, if you look back to Robert Gillespie, you think of those teams that Hattiesburg used to have. You had Doug Merchant, the head coach down at Hattiesburg. He played there, what, 94 to 97, Robert Gillespie. 98 was that year that Hattiesburg played South Panola for the state championship, and that was when South Panola won that game. Was Hattiesburg had the receivers, Keyshawn Fudge, and all those guys. That was a year after Gillespie left. But anyway, Hattiesburg used to be so good, the Tigers in football back in the mid-'90s, and one of the reasons the running backs coach at Alabama, Robert Gillespie. My coach for the University of Alabama is Pete Golding. Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator from Alabama. He played college football. Where, Bart? Delta State. For the fighting okra of Delta State. This isn't an old guy. He finished at Delta State in 2005. He played safety over there. He's just 37 years old. And when I look at Pete Golding, I think, well... Maybe he could be like the old guy who just never left the fraternity house, just stayed a little bit too long. <laughs> you know, he, he does not look like a college football coach. But in any event, that's what he is. He took a strange route. And this is one of the things that's interesting about Nick Saban. How does this guy get hired at Alabama? Delta State graduate assistant, Delta State coach. He coached at Southeastern Louisiana. A couple of years as defensive back coach at Southern Miss, and then he goes to UT San Antonio, and he gets pulled out of San Antonio, Texas, to come to Alabama, where he's a co-defensive coordinator, linebacker coach, and since 2019 has been the defensive coordinator for Alabama. He's got a national championship as an assistant coach there in 2020. Golding is a guy who is somewhat maligned, but that's just the nature of being a coach at the University of Alabama when everything's not perfect. The defense, I thought, last week at Texas A&M wasn't great. Zach Calzada. Bart, when we played him, I came in here on Sunday and said, maybe this guy will get hot one day. 
But that guy is costing them football games. There's too much talent around. Calzada comes out last week against Alabama, completed 16 of his first 17 passes. I thought Alabama was not terribly good in coverage on the back end of that ball game in terms of the back end of the defense, or for that matter, late in the ball game. Calzada had time to go through progressions. If Rodgers has time tomorrow, if Pete Golding doesn't change something, maybe he needs to simplify, I don't know. But if he doesn't change something, it's going to help Mississippi State have a shot. But whatever happens, the guy across the way fighting okra. Real, real interested to see. We talked about Zach Ornett a little bit ago about how Alabama plays this defensively. How much do they sell out? Do they come on some blitzes against Will Rogers and open up man-to-man? You just kind of wonder because teams have been sitting back against State trying to get the pressure with the front. And one of the big things, you mentioned Anderson just a moment ago. Can Alabama get pressure with just those guys? And do they have to have linebacker help? That's, that's one of the big keys to me tomorrow is how Alabama tries to get pressure or if they do. All right, so that's a look at our numbers. We've talked about our coaches, and now, Bart, unless I'm mistaken, we are down to our two brothers' two-minute drill. And two brothers can't beat it, Charlie, the other day, just as we were getting ready to get our out-of-left-field show put up. I went down to two brothers, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to eat these barbecue cheese fries that you talk about Mary Elliott eating all the time. And I tell you what, man, I just looked at the menu. They don't have a single thing on there that I don't like. I mean, I like every single thing that they have on the menu. And I sat upstairs, second floor, overlooking University Drive, sat there by myself, and just kind of people watched a little bit. And it's great. Phenomenal food. You just can't beat it. One of my favorite places to go. And if you're coming to Startwell this weekend, if you're on the drive up right now, coming to watch State and Alabama and say, you know what, I don't want to bother with the tailgate, head to University Drive in the Cotton District and go to Two Brothers. You will not be sorry that you did. So I guess I'll blow the whistle again. And do I go first again after the whistle? Yeah, I think you'll go first. We don't want to waste any time after the whistle blows. All right, here we go. (laughs) University of Alabama has over 38,000 in their enrollments but only 39% of the students at Alabama are actually from the state of Alabama. One of my favorite books of all time, To Kill a Mockingbird, and its fictional attorney Atticus Finch was written by Harper Lee. She attended Alabama, which is more than many of their fans can say, but never graduated. I got another one of those. Bernie Madoff, the convicted froster who ran the world's largest Ponzi scheme, he attended Alabama his freshman year. Didn't know that. The 27-time world champion New York Yankees were brought to you on the radio by many years by the great Mel Allen. Before becoming the Yankees announcer, Mel Allen served as a PA announcer and broadcaster at the University of Alabama. Well, Mississippi State and Alabama are the only two SEC schools to compete in the EcoCar 3 competition that's sponsored by the Department of Energy and GM. We got a chance at a title there. Hey, be careful as you go through Gordo and Reform. They like to write tickets. Watch out for the guy hiding behind Dollar General. They'll get you every time. Those paved roads came from funds from somewhere. That's right. Many a people from the state of Mississippi. Well, the closest two SEC schools are Mississippi State and Alabama, only 82 miles between Davis Wade Stadium and Bryant-Denny Stadium. My mother is a graduate of the University of Alabama, not intentionally. She attended Mississippi State, graduated there after my father took a job in Alabama as a CPA. That makes me more connected to the University of Alabama than most of their fans. 83%. Hey, we talked about State and Alabama being so close. The closest FBS school 
to SEC institutions. Vanderbilt has the closest FBS school. 39 miles separates Vanderbilt and Middle Tennessee. What's interesting, the furthest distance FBS school to an SEC school, Missouri. They're all up there by themselves in Columbia. It's 165 miles to the nearest FBS school, and that's Kansas. The Hog, John Hanna, arguably the greatest offensive lineman ever to play football, is a graduate of the University of Alabama, won a couple of SEC titles, never a national championship. He was born in Canton, Georgia. He's memorialized in Canton, Ohio. And the 1986-3 win Mississippi State over Alabama featured two quarterbacks, John Bond from Mississippi State, a high school football coach at St. Joseph Catholic School in Madison, Don Jacobs, a high school football coach right now at Houston Academy over in Dothan. Alabama claims 18 national titles, but look at their old letterhead. They didn't always claim all of them that are currently on the list. I'm not suggesting they fudge the numbers. But as Bart mentioned, Bertie Madoff went there. 1941. What a joke. I mean, come on. So that's our two-minute drill here. That's our show, our Tracks Plus Deep Dig. By the way, I said John Hanna was memorialized. Can you memorialize somebody who's still alive? Did I imply that he's no longer living? He's still alive. Is he? Yeah, John Hanna. I'm proud for John. We ought to call John. Well, that would have been a good call. But in any event, that's our Tracks Plus Deep Dig dig here for another Friday Mississippi State Alabama going at it tomorrow the often controversial 3-2-1 segment I expect we'll hear a little bit about that on Sunday morning we'll take a look back and see where we fell out on our numbers whether my off the rails prediction or shouldn't say prediction but my requirement that we have under 68 yards of rushing in the ballgame that we want to win. We'll have a lot of things to look back at, Bart, but I have the feeling that the biggest number we're going to be looking back at on Sunday is going to be yours. Whether we're within a touchdown at halftime, if we're not, we have no chance. Yep, we're going to get the big, tall cup of coffee from Strange Brew. We'll come in here and talk about it on Sunday Coffee. Well, so that's our Tracks Plus Deep Dig. Thanks again to our friends at Farm Bureau, all our friends down at Tracks Plus. Hey, if you're lighting up the grill this weekend, Throw some country pleasing on there. And thanks again, too, to our friends at Two Brothers. By the way, if you don't feel like cooking, man, they've got a great catering list. Go by there. Don't sleep on the tacos, man. It's good stuff. And beef. It's what's for dinner. It's what's for dinner. I still want the Sam Elliott version of that, by the way. All right. Thanks, guys. We will be back on Sunday.